everybody, welcome back to Fresh Out the Podcast. I am the board game guru and game master extraordinaire, Jahananan. Hey, I'm a disabled, retired, child crimes and human trafficking detective, and I have actually seen both Deadpool 1 and 2, and that's kind of my claim to fame, that's why I'm happy to be here. My name's Casualty CDG. I'm the professional media and movie mastermind, the Funhouse Drew Munhausen, and I've got one hand in my pocket and the other one's given a peace sign. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, welcome to episode 22 of Fresh Out the Podcast. This episode will be launching in your podcast feed on December 5th, I believe. So just imagine that right now when we're recording that it's December 5th, even though, spoiler alert, it's not. It is so cold outside, it's December all the time. (laughs) So actually, Jahan brought this up, and this is kind of funny. So I, I didn't even realize that I guess this month, December, would be the... 20th anniversary of when the Fellowship of the Ring came out in theaters? Is yes. that right? Correct. Yeah, so uh, for my birthday 20 years ago. Which, you know, I, I kind of associate the Lord of the Rings movies with, even though there's nothing holiday-themed about those movies, I associate them with the holidays, and probably because they all came out in yeah. December, and so that's when I would be seeing them in theaters. You know, Back then, I was think I was in junior high, and mm. it was always right around the time I was getting off for for Christmas break. So, um, holy crap, were we in junior high twenty years ago? Wow! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so, no, I saw. I literally saw all three of them on Christmas Eve, year after year after year. I still think that the the, the Lord of the Rings series to me is still one of the greatest film achievements uh it, you know definitely of this century I mean, it's, it's <laughs> outstanding and they hold up really well um and you know obviously we you we're all D guys too and mm. that's a big inspiration there but i think one of the things that's interesting is Lord of the Rings still has relevance. We know that there's a Lord of the Rings series that'll be coming out on Amazon sometime next year, eventually. Most expensive um, television show ever produced, yes. And then, of course, I think that there's some... some. It doesn't have the same levels of high fantasy, but, you know, it's... As far as fantasy goes, you know, Game of Thrones kind of took over the culture um, in in the pretty much throughout all the the 2010s. Um, And ever since Game of Thrones ended a couple of years ago, it seems like there's been this constant hunt from all the streaming services, network TVs, you know, everybody premium cable channels to what is the next Game of Thrones? Gary Gary raised his hand. To so I've actually Gary. I've got a really interesting uh, thing to add to your list that is it's a new form of media, and that is just live streaming, live streamers, Twitch. 
because even in the form of media, now you have critical role where people were hungering for where they could get their fix of fantasy. And with Game of Thrones coming to an end and Critical Role having such great timing, uh, it is on the map and they are developing their show. And I think that their show is going to be a huge fantasy hit, especially with all the the, the fans they already have. Yeah, what's it called? Vox Machina or something like that? Yes, or, and yeah. it's going to be an animated show. It's not live action. So, you know, maybe it doesn't, it shouldn't be in the conversation with Lord of the Rings because it's not going to be the next Lord of the Rings. But I do think that that is going to yeah. be a huge fantasy slam dunk uh, for our culture, I guess, for our movie culture, for our nerd culture. Because of the way my brain works, uh, I tend not to put such hard lines between live action and animation because I hold them both in such high esteem. Uh, So that's just how... I agree, but I don't think I would ever call a cartoon the next Lord of the Rings either. It's fair. But I guess, and that's what I was going to say, is I don't know if that has the... If something like Vox Machina has the potential to take over the culture of everyone including people that don't normally normally like you know high fantasy is it something that can take over them that's, like game of thrones did that's a i mean good my point. my wife does not like high fantasy she does not care about the lord of the rings movies she does not care about elves and goblins and those kinds of things but she liked game of thrones and i think that there's a lot of people out there that are like that and so you know i guess to kind of generally stereotype but um you know it it really took over and obviously there's there's a game of thrones spinoff coming out next year i honestly i'm sure i'll I'll watch it but i as of now i'm not amped for it or it's not i really couldn't care less about it at this point but i'm sure i'll watch it when it comes out but you know all that to say the the one of the next attempts at that is out now and that's the wheel of time series that just <laughs> launched on amazon prime and you can tell that amazon dumped a lot of money into this series they they're saying they want it to go for eight seasons um you know they're putting a lot into this at the time that we are recording now there's four episodes available of the first season um, i've seen three of them and we can talk about it, you know, as as we go. I don't, we don't have to talk specifically about Wheel of Time yet. But I guess my question to both of you is Game of Thrones, I think, just came at a perfect time where, you know, we didn't have all the premium Netflix shows like we have now. We didn't have all of these streaming shows launching literally every week. And so Game of Thrones was in a great place that, A, it was good. And B, you know, it just it just took over everything. And it wasn't in the first season that that happened. It probably wasn't until about season three or so that I feel like everybody I knew was watching Game of Thrones. And my question is, is can any show really do that again now? Everybody watched Squid Game. That's the closest comparison but the thing is is Squid that... game tiger king uh it's happened a couple times but not not at the same level i, I see what you're saying but i feel like the the other thing is I that mean, those shows every marvel movie the, the marvel movies are probably <laughs> the closest closest things honestly um and maybe the shows to a lesser extent 
but Game of Thrones, you know, was the weekly water cooler topic when yeah. the show was on the air. Is that did you watch the new Game of Thrones? Did you Funny. watch the new Game of Thrones? And while everybody did watch Squid Game, to your point, yeah. when Game launched the full season and everybody binged it and it was the topic of conversation and it was the subject of all the memes and everything for like a solid two to three weeks and then i feel like nobody's talking about squid game anymore and it's a huge deal and there's gonna be more squid game i'm sure it's already been okay for a second season right but i don't know i mean are people gonna still be talking about squid game in two or three months you know It'll come up again when there's another season, but are they going to be talking about it in two or three months? And I think that was the thing with Game of Thrones is it was the topic of conversation for For three months or so of the year, every year while we were getting it. Um, Except I know there was a year where we didn't get a new season. So I won't get into the week. That was a rough year, man. But it's just it's just I'm wondering if if there's anything that can really take over in the same way that game of thrones did and there's probably a show that's come or that's been on that i'm forgetting right now that you know i do feel like everybody was talking about wandavision when it was on or the marvel i think that's a good a good point um the marvel cinematic universe has such a reputation behind it and such a, a cultural stay power that you know the shows can do that and they launch they launch weekly episodes so it does become a water cooler topic but I'm guessing I'm just trying to figure out, you know, if Wheel of Time can even be that show, or if any show I, can be that show. Yeah, I see what you're saying. It's it's I mean it's tough shoes to fill for sure. Uh, even though it ended like shit, because uh, Game of Thrones any sucked. So funny thing about Game of Thrones, I didn't start watching it until like season three, uh, which might surprise you because I'm such a fantasy guy. Uh, I just thought I, I heard stuff about it, and I thought it was just crap i didn't know that it was good um i thought because like everybody liked it and so that gave me the idea that oh it must be just drivel uh but then gary was like nah this show rocks and me and gary binged it uh and i loved it and so gary actually got me into game of thrones funny enough uh that was when we first like started hanging out really um and i loved game of thrones i see what you're saying and it was a fantastic series all the way up till the end uh, I even started reading the books and all that good stuff. Uh, well, with Game of Thrones, I read, I think after I'd seen the first season and maybe part of the second season is when I went and read the first book. And yeah. I did not read all of the Game of Thrones books. I've only read, I think, the first and second books, which really only covered the first and second seasons. But I will say reading those books gave me a huge advantage i guess in watching the show because yeah. it really just helps you know the characters and the names and really understand it the, does and the books the are better of the show and then you can watch it from there and really understand yeah the books i mean like everyone always says the books are better but the books are better um than the show was and one day george R. R. martin hopefully before he passes will finish the last book no but, he uh, will not yeah definitely it will not, not happen uh-uh uh, but I'm a huge fantasy guy. I, you know, I started watching the Lord of the Rings animated movies when I was, like, a toddler. You know, uh, Dark Crystal, The Labyrinth, all that stuff. I always loved fantasy. Lord of the Rings was a revelation in my life. I'm still a huge fan. I've seen all of those movies. And I'm not saying you have to do this to be a fan. I'm a worthless piece of shit. 
So I've watched all of those movies like 30 times extended cut. Like, and I watched all the uh, features behind the scenes. Uh, I don't, I honestly don't feel that Game of Thrones became Lord of the Rings. You know what I mean? And so I think that. It did I, either, but it's just, I think it all kind of fits in the same genre. I think it definitely yeah. became Lord of the Rings without a doubt. Uh, I think your nostalgia is clouding your opinion because here's why. Mm. Because I I would I'd like to agree, but here is why I think because museums around the United States will tour all that Lord of the Rings stuff the same way they tour all that Game of Thrones stuff, and people will pay and they will go and wait in line to sit down and take a picture in the the, the throne of swords. Yeah, the, it does have that there, stand power, and it is this I huge will. cultural show. And I do not think that wheel of time is that yeah i think the only thing i'll say to wheel of time that's somewhat unfair is like i said jahan didn't start watching game of thrones till season three i started watching it season two and kind of got caught up so i think it's hard to say i was watching it episode one part one day one right out the gate so with with wheel of time it's new so it's kind of hard to predict you know, will peop- will it get better and will it become the conversation and whatever? Is it even fair to try to put it on that pedestal to, to even compare it to those? But I just feel like Amazon was really trying to hype this show. And maybe this is a good transition to talk about this show in particular because we all have watched at least a couple episodes of it. Um, which... You know, I don't know if I necessarily cared that much, but when I just saw some of the hype behind it, and this is their Lord of the Rings, and this is this is the new big thing, I kind of thought, yeah, okay, sure. So let me let me check it out. Um, yeah. And I've seen the first three episodes that that launched as and... of the time of this taping. I have seen all four released episodes, uh, and. I'll say flat out. I know. I know. I like stuff. All right. I know. I like it. Uh, but I'm actually. I'm actually much more finicky with my fantasy. I love this, especially when magic comes into play. If you do magic a certain way, it'll piss me off, and I won't like it. Uh, but I like the magic in this. I like the the lore that they set forth and the way they show it and they roll it out over time. Um, I enjoy. I don't, know, I don't know much about Wheel of Time. It's not a series that I read, uh, but I really like the show. I've been telling everyone to watch it. Uh, I love the characters. Like, the cast of characters is really great, although I do think that the one kid, uh, the redhead guy, uh, is a whiny bitch. <laughs> uh, and I told one of my friends that. He said, no, he's like that in the books, too. That's right on course. I'm like, all right. But I really you like... The one who looks like Michael Sarah. Gary uh, thinks he looks like Michael Sarah. He doesn't, but okay. <laughs> I can see it. I can see if you really stretch, yeah, sure. And uh, squint really, really hard. Squint real hard, he looks like me. Michael Sarah. You've got to do a little bit of mental yoga, but it, he's close. <laughs> and he's definitely a little bitch. But uh, I like Michael Sarah. Jahan will fight you, Michael Sarah. I like all. I like the entire cast. I like. Uh, uh, what's her name? Rosamund Pike from yeah, Rosamund Doom. Pike. 
Uh, she was in the Doom movie. Don't, don't say she's from Doom. <laughs> if all the things you're going to credit her with, you're going to be like, yeah, she's from Doom. No. Yeah, she's no. from Doom. Sure did. No. What, what, was, what would you do? She was Oscar nominated for Gone Girl, which is a fantastic uh, Wrath movie. of the Titans. Johnny English. Stop. Stop. You're going to make me mad. Oh, yeah. She was Madame Curie in Radioactive, huh? Uh... So Wheel of Time reminds me a lot of Warhammer in that the monsters are super big and they're super strong. They're very dangerous. And I'm, I'm pretty familiar with the Warhammer fantasy setting. Uh, Jahan and I played Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 4th Edition on our show. That's how we started. And the first I've been playing. Did, yeah. And here's here's what I think. I've Lord of the Rings. They have board games. They have miniatures. They have video games. They've got a show. They've got books. They've got cartoons. And Warhammer has all of those same things, except Warhammer doesn't have a huge movie yet. And they don't have a huge show yet. Warhammer would be an awesome show. Wheel of Time feels a lot like Warhammer, where that magic is draining and the monsters are brutal and the setting is not quite Renaissance, but it's still on that tail end of medieval. And, And the woods are dangerous, it's hard to get from town to town. All of that's Warhammer stuff. And so I like Wheel of Time because, to me, I'm finally being able to watch a Warhammer TV show. Hmm. But I, I think that if Warhammer gets that cash money to ever make a show or make a movie, that's the kind of franchise that could really unsettle somebody. Let's go Let's go throw a script at him. I'm down. Uh, I mean, we literally have a script already. We played an entire season. That's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I like... Wheel of Time so far. So to your point, Gary, you said you liked it, and and I do too. Um, I do feel like we talked a little bit about Lord of the Rings. I love Lord of the Rings in general, and I've seen you know now that this series is out and I've been watching it. I I have not read any of the Wheel of Time books, um, but I've been reading a little bit about them and Robert Jordan, the writer, and and he has been accused of you know borrowing heavily from Lord of the Rings. You know, as an inspiration. Which, what's wrong with that? Why, why not draw from okay. something great to make your so own thing? So, my entire hobby, which is tabletop games, is drawn from Lord of the Rings. So, the me, rock and roll was drawn from the Beatles. So, sure, of course, it was drawn from Lord of the Rings, right? Of course, right. it was. Right, and the, and I think the <laughs> lore and everything in Wheel of Time is different enough and has some of its own stuff that I find interesting, but it also, the the high fantasy feel of it is like comfort food as I'm watching it, because I like that kind of feel, and I like magic and, and rules in worlds, you know, where it's the women who wield magic in this world, and there's these monsters called Trollocs, who when they first appeared, I was like, Oh yeah, minotaurs. And then I looked at them. I was like, "Oh no, werewolves." And then they opened their mouths, and I said, "Oh, it's predator." And so I kind of like yeah, I... and kind of like a pig man. In uh, so in in Warhammer, they're just called beastmen, and beastmen will yeah. just like raid a village, just like that. They'll come in, burn it down, and kill everybody, and eat everybody, and that's it. And so being able to see that whole army of, it's not orcs, that's an army of beasts. Bro, I know they, exactly what that is. They were so brutal. And it was so, it went. what they're called on the show. Yeah, no, they, those they, are beast men. I know exactly what they are. They cranked it. It went like the show was cool. You're learning about the thing. And then they cranked it up to 12. And it was like, holy So <laughs> It was so cool. I had it on. 
I had it on because you guys kept talking about it. I remember everyone's talking about Wheel of Time, right? All my friends, anyways, were all a bunch of fat nerds. So I had it on, and like I'm eating dinner and I'm fucking off on my phone and like blah 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 blah. blah don't care. Like my head's down for 20 minutes, and then all of a sudden, the fucking beast men show up, and I was like, "Excuse me, hold on now." And then rewinded like 10 minutes and was like, "Yeah, okay, I'm paying attention now. Like I'm I'm all in on this show." I didn't know where it was going, and uh, it it got there, and I'm I'm on board. Yeah, I had a similar experience because I'm you know watching all the exposition and trying to learn these characters. I'm like, I don't understand the names that they're saying. Like, how am I supposed to know who these characters are if I can't even say their names or realize what it what it is? You've got to like, wonder how much stock to put into remembering like two. all these character names in episode one. You're like, should should is this show even worth remembering these people's names? To yet? your point. I couldn't tell you a single person's name from the right. show. So I'm uh, like trying to pay attention to the world building and what's happening and grip the characters and the dynamics. And then the big attack happens, like you said. And I said, okay, I'm all in. It was, and it was super violent and, and pretty brutal. And then at the end, it makes it very clear what the storyline is and what's happening is basically... It's it's a very classic fantasy trope, right? Yeah. Like, there's a few of you kids, and one of you is the chosen hero, but we don't know which one yet. We're on a or journey villain. now across. Yeah, or villain. <laughs> We're on a journey now across the world, I guess, and that's it. We're and we're going to figure this out. And I said, okay, I can get with that. Now I realize what no. the overall premise is here, and there will be things happening within that, and I'll be <laughs> learning more about the magic and the lore and the world here. Cool. So I'm on board for the show. I'm, I'm going to watch the fourth episode that's out now, and I'll, I'll I plan to continue watching it. So I'll bring it up time to time on the and show. And there's there's like a magic. There, you know, there's going to be a magic girl. There's like a big strong guy. And he, and then there's like a roguish guy who talks shit, and he's kind of funny. So they've got the party dynamic, and the characters are compelling yeah. enough. I love um, the characters, and the actors are awesome. Uh, and there's so many they 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 cast so many uh, women and just people of color in general in so many roles. Uh, one of the lead the lead girl that's one of the magic babies uh, is a woman of color, and yeah, yeah. Get the magic babies to the wizard tower is a fun quest. I like it. Um, yeah, and like that one town uh, that they went to. I don't want to give any. Yeah, uh, I didn't want to spoil anything either. But there is a really cool location. That look, it episode. was so cool, and the lore mm -hmm. was awesome, and I thought it was so well done. Uh, and when she wakes yeah. up and is like, "You've killed us all!" Like it's so. I don't know. It it's literally, just... like, I wouldn't say it made my skin crawl, but the way that they did that that setting, that scene, that we all know what it is without saying it. The way. Oh, it, we it all was... know. It was great, and like the I I felt still, you know, there was something still inside me. Like watching that, I was just like, oh, it was just I was on edge. And when I had to turn it off and come upstairs to do this, so uh, I can't wait to watch more Wheel of Time. Yeah, yeah. Episode four was awesome. I'd say I, that I that Wheel it. of Time is certified fresh out the box I on agree. my front, girl. Say so too, and I think that. The reason that I brought up the conversation in general is that I agree. I like it. I'm on board. Excellent. I'm not going to sit here and say it's amazing or it's fantastic, but I am enjoying it for what it is. But I couldn't help but think when knowing all the things of like the 
budget and what they put into it and all this stuff. I'm like, is this going to catch on with everyone, though? I don't know. Like, my friends who play D&D and like high fantasy? Sure, sure, this is right up our alley. But I don't know if this is, you know, the show that you'd go into work on Monday and be talking to your coworkers and that this is what they watched. It's what I would do, but I would get, it would be a very one-sided conversation. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess that's what made me think about it, but, but I like it and I'm interested to see where it goes and if it does have any cultural significance in the future. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that it, I'm hoping that it stays. I'm hoping that we get at least like five seasons out of it. Um, I'm hoping that they don't drop it. So we'll we'll see. Because uh, I want to see. Because this gives me hope for other books becoming fantasy uh, shows. Uh, oh, and speaking of books, mm. t- I guess to the show's point, I ordered. Uh, Amazon had the first three books in a box set for fifteen bucks. I'm like, yeah, sure. Yeah. So that'll be delivered they, to my home tomorrow. They made so the I, show I'll, and they sold you the book. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll dive into the books and see if I if I like it, especially. It'll help now having seen some of the show, and then now I can read the the books and put characters with the names and really visualize it. I think that'll help. Yeah. So it's fun self casting in your mind when you're reading a book, but it's also cool when they have a cast for you to put in. Uh, I like that a lot. Yeah. Uh, are there any other fantasy series you want to see come into life? Because I have a few that I would love to see. Oh gosh, probably not. Because I just don't read read as much. You know fantasy now i would have said dune was one and now we've got the great movies but i i would like to see if warner brothers or hbo max they've said they're going to but if they really capitalize on that and make a series out of it and spinoffs and stuff because i'll be all all in for those and i'd be interested to see if those take off because it seems like dune the film was pretty well received yeah all around so you know there's possibility there yeah, no, there's there's a few books. Uh, so I didn't even realize I needed a Warhammer show because I didn't even like. I don't think they would ever do it, but that would be so good. Are you kidding me? Of course they would do it. They're making a Wheel of Time show. Yeah, I mean that's fair, but like Warhammer has this like, uh, what do you call it? Like reputation. I don't know, but yeah, you can watch Ratman run over, uh, get run over by a steam tank in the Warhammer show. So that's that would be good TV. Um, but I would love to see a Broken Earth uh, show. Uh, it's written by N.K. Uh, Jemison, and she does fantastic work. Uh, and they have very interesting lore. It's all very original and super cool. I love to see that. And also, I I think I would like to see a uh, King Killer Chronicle show uh, by Patrick Rothfuss. I've heard uh, of that series. The first book is Hot Fire. The second book is a horny teenager nightmare <laughs> that's just like come on I don't I don't know if I want to, it's almost porn uh, and the third book I God knows when we're gonna get the third book but um, the first book is a masterpiece and yeah I would love to see all of those come to life I think you know what wheel of time sort of where, what folder it goes in in my head I've, I've just realized. Hmm. It goes in the same quality folder as, like, Umbrella Academy, in that I like it, Interesting, but it's it's not great, and I'll watch it every time a new season comes out, but it's not great. And at least in Umbrella Academy, I know all the characters' names. Um, 
I do think Wheel of Time has potential to be great. Maybe that's... I mean, I don't know. We'll I see. think it could get to a hell of a special place. I, I like really Umbrella do. Academy. I, I like also the do. Characters. I like the show. I think it's compelling. And I think Wheel of Time is probably all of those things, too. But I don't know if it's ever going to be great. I found out. So you know that that show is written by... Uh, the, the My Chemical Romance, My Chemical Romance guy. guy, right? Mm-hmm. I found out the other day that apparently... <laughs> Him and Joe Rogan are cousins. Yeah, they didn't even know. They, they didn't know. They found out recently. It's funny. Yeah, they actually haven't met either, I don't think. Yeah, they haven't met uh, last time I, I heard. Uh, I just thought that was funny. I found that out like yesterday. I think the Mike Kim guy is in no hurry to meet Joe Rogan. <laughs> I would, couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine. Um, the other thing I'll say about Wheel of Time, because I've mentioned the budget a few times, I'll say this watching it, the setting and the locations and stuff are are gorgeous like it does look great it does even even some of the special effects look generally pretty good there are a few times the cg looks kind of campy tv you know tv budget-esque but for the most part it looks good and especially the trollocs like we talked about the the beast men mm-hmm. um when it's practical effects with those they look awesome yeah, too. they're great they're, oh, they're actually scary you. You're right. They only they look cheesy whenever they use the Trollocs and they use the CG at the same time. Like they'll use CG to make the Trollocs all running at the same time, like across a field, and then it looks pretty cheesy. But whenever it's just on one or two of them and they're using the practical effects, they look really cool. Yeah. But the makeup is great, and I have to imagine that getting like you know twenty guys in makeup like that is next to impossible. It's con- so time consuming. And yeah, expensive. Because it's not like you can do it one at a time. Hey, well, that's could, like eight hours in the have, chair. You'd have shit makeup if you did that. Yeah. They're doing high quality makeup work, like what a workshop did with Lord of the Rings. That's but, I think yes. where a lot of the comparison comes for me. Like. I don't know if I would say any. I don't know if I would say Lord of the Rings at all if it wouldn't be for how good the monsters look. If the show had a different monster or they didn't use practical effects, I don't think we would have ever been talking about Lord of the Rings right now. You're exa- the practical effects and the miniatures and then the makeup and the orcs and the goblins and the Uruk-hai so many things. You're right. Yeah. That's why those. That's why mm-hmm. they they. Um, they stand up to the yeah. test of time right That's now because right. practical effects are what do it. They hold up really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, no, a lot of stuff had to come together for that too because I've watched, like I said, a lot of the behind the scenes. Uh, all of the orcs and Uruks, you know how they walk weird and they're like crouching stuff. All those guys are like black belts. They're like stunt people. They're super well trained, uh, and so they have that quality of movement, the way they move around. Uh, they had to get specialist people, and then when they were getting the Rohirrim all the people on the horses, they put out a call to, like, New Zealanders. And all these people showed up with their personal horses. <laughs> and, like, it was just this cool experience. So, uh... I don't know. I love Lord of the Rings. And, we're, you know, of course, that's kind of like the... The thing looming over us all now, too, is all the Lord of the Rings comparisons on the Wheel of Time. And Wheel of Time is on Amazon, which, ironically enough, will be the home of the Lord of the Rings series that comes out next year. Which Which is, I love this because it means we're going to be able to watch Wheel of Time, Lord of the Rings, Wheel of Time, Lord of the Rings. And we're going to have a fantasy show for our offseason. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that. 
And you know what? Now that you mention it, that you're exactly right. It, which is probably Amazon's plan, because honestly, before I've watched some Amazon movies, and I, you know, I'll dabble in there, but I don't think I've really watched many Amazon original series before. Wheel of Time is one of the first for me personally. Yeah. So between Wheel of the Time Expanse and because yeah. we played the Expanse, so I would watch that series before we played the tabletop game. Just to kind of get my mind in the headspace, I'd put it on a few hours early and, and get into the ship. Yeah, I watched all the Expanse, and I love it. And the final season is coming out next month, and I'm sure we'll talk about it then. So there you go. So between Wheel of Time and the Expanse, and then the Lord of the Rings series next year, there could be a lot more going on with Amazon Prime. So maybe they're making some chess moves, you know, and really getting into the fantasy and sci-fi realm. And um, I'm here for it. You know, I think I do think at the end of the day with the conversation we've talked about with fantasy is that maybe Lord of the Rings is the next show to basically continue its own legacy. And oh, take I have over the Game of Thrones. Nothing role. but faith in the Lord of the Rings show. I'm so glad you said that. I'm so pessimistic usually, but I think that show is going to be ace. I don't, I'm so looking they, forward to being let down, but I don't think it's going to happen. I don't I think, think it's going to happen, man. It, they, they know how much is riding on this? They know that if it's bad, the fans will revolt. There, I think that with they're the being careful. Of money with the money they've dumped into it too. Yeah, I but, think know, they're gonna slam their nutsacks straight through the basketball goal and shatter the back glass yeah, with that one. That's that's. What I was gonna say it earlier when you were talking about how Game of Thrones like beat out Lord of the Rings or whatever, but there aren't Game of Thrones historians. It's not a a class taught on college campuses, but when it comes to Lord of the Rings, uh, you can you can get a degree in like Tolkien. Lord like, of the Rings came out in like 1946, didn't it? Give it some time. Give it. Give Game of Thrones some time. Yeah, I think the 50s. Or I, something, I mean, something you know, like that. Yeah, that is a good point. Uh, but I do think it sounds like this conversation is going to be a uh, to be continued. Man, in a sense. A, you know, once we once we get that. That uh, that series next year. As of now, we don't even have a teaser or anything yeah, like nothing. that. So we'll we'll see. But um, but Wheel of Time for now, it could fill that void for me. I love give Wheel me of Time. Fantasy. I'll I'll watch it. So all right. Well, perfect. We'll we'll uh, use that to transition into our uh, fresh out the box takes for the week. Um, what have you guys been watching? Uh, so first and foremost. So I talk about it often, uh, Doctor Who. But now something's coming up. There's they're coming oh, up with a six-part event, Doctor Who Flux. I'm very excited. Uh, and since we more start, more like Doctor Boo. Am I right? <laughs> more like Doctor Boo sucks. <laughs> no, nah, that's a good one. Oh, I was actually oh. thinking that was what Drew was going to say. Uh, but no. So I actually, since we started watching, uh, pl- uh, doing this podcast, I watched every episode from Eccleston. All the way till the beginning of. Do you uh, know that this isn't a Doctor Who podcast? Like, whatever. You're, you're yeah, like, I'm sorry. Doctor it's the Ted Who. Lasso podcast. My bad. <laughs> Fucking shit. Touche. Uh, oh, <laughs> you fuck. Uh, I had to listen forever. You will yeah, hear me. You should have gone and watched Ted Lasso. You've done yourself a real disservice. But now, but now I am on uh, the Jodie Whittaker stuff, uh, and that's the current doctor and then this event is coming up so i look forward to watching that uh a lot but as far as things i did uh i 
played a game that I've been meaning to play for a long, long time. I played It Takes Two. Uh, you guys heard Everything of it? Go right. I had been meaning to ask one of y'all to play this with me because I've heard that it's great. Like it, a lot of people have it on their game of the year yeah. list that it's that good, but it's a co-op game. So I need is, somebody that can play it with me. You have to play it co-op. You can't play it by yourself. It is one of the, it's probably the greatest co-op experience I've ever had in my entire life. I played with my buddy, Alan. Alan was like, Hey, I want to play this game. I was like, all right. Uh, and so in the game, you're, uh, a married couple that your daughter, like you tell her you're divorcing. She gets sad and like accidentally magics you into toys. Right. Uh, and then in order to become human again, uh, there's this relationship book, uh, that your daughter's been reading that like comes to life and trying to be like, you have to get back together. And like, it's really funny. Uh, there's a lot of humor. There's swearing. It's more adult than I was expecting. Uh, but the puzzles are so satisfying. Uh, like I love legend of Zelda. I love the puzzles. I love the bosses in legend of Zelda. It's that times 11. You know what I mean? Like, it is. It's so good. Uh, the first, like, area, I could say, uh, one of you has a hammer. Uh, like, just the head of a hammer that you use, that's your tool for the thing. And the other person, uh, the, the guy, has nails that he can throw and call back by whistling, right? And so uh, uh, the, the woman has to, like, hit things and knock them up, and then you pin them to the wall. You can run across. Uh, and then the boss battle of that uh, zone is so good. You have to, like, pin his arm to the wall, and then the other person has to run across. It's just fantastic. Uh, every single thing you do is in tandem. Like, all of it, you can't do anything by yourself. You have to work together. And if, you're ba- if you have bad teamwork, you're not going to get anywhere. Uh, and every single zone has a completely new set of tools. You both have a different thing. The second one, it's a goo gun and a match sniper rifle. Uh, and then you have a, a belt that makes you grow and anti-gravity boots and so on and so forth. Um, and at is some it, points, yeah. Is it, if you're playing it online yeah. with somebody, mm. is it still split screen where yes. you see their stuff? You okay. cannot turn off the split screen. It's not possible. Uh, so because it's like that other game that came out called... Uh, a Way Out? Same, a way out. Yeah, the same, same company. Same company. In yeah. fact, at one point... Uh, uh, Alan found these two action figures in a room. He's like, who the hell are these guys? And he was like messing with them. And it's the guys from that game. And it was, yeah, they, they do put it in there, but no, it's probably the greatest co-op game I've ever played. Uh, we just played a, like a boat level where like you have to like steer, uh, by using like opposite paddles. And so like you have to work together. If you start arguing, you're dead. And it's just, it was, it's so fun. I'm not done with it yet. Uh, me, me and Alan are still playing it and having uh, so much fun, uh, laughing a lot, and just being like, after every puzzle or boss, we're like, this is the greatest game ever. And so you have to, I suggest you and Gary play it together, man. You guys are going to love it. Uh, I'll have to try it out. This seems like it's up my alley. It's 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 so good, Drew. <laughs> I can't, I, it, it really might be one of my new favorite games. Uh, it's just, you can't play it by yourself. You have to have a friend. Well, speaking of games, before we get into the what we've watched, I, I do have a g- new game that I've been dabbling in. I'm not too far in, but I'll just give some initial impressions. 
is I've been playing. I, I picked this up during Xbox's uh, Black Friday sale. But I picked up Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, the video game. So this is from the from uh, I believe it's Eidos Montreal and Square Enix. I think it's the same folks that did the the Marvel's Avengers game that Gary and I had raved about a few weeks ago. Um, but uh. But anyway, I so I've been playing this. I I was hesitant because I thought that when they revealed this game that it was kind of a missed opportunity because you play as Star-Lord and you don't get to play as any of the other Guardians and I thought that seemed like common sense, right? If you're making a Guardians team-based game, wouldn't you get to play as all of them? Yeah. But I've been playing it a little bit and the way that you do still command the other guardians and use them to your advantage, I think kind of fills that void when you're playing the game. And I've actually been really enjoying it. It tells an original story. It looks great. The production design in the game's really good. Um, the voice acting and the characters are just different enough from the movies to give it some kind of original style, but they do draw from the movies a little bit. Um, but it's an original story and it's very fun. The The action's good as Star-Lord. You know, you can you can hover around and shoot things with your guns and they have a cooldown, and then you can um, use different elements with the guns that I'm just now learning. And, uh, you know, there's perks and there's a ton of skins for the characters that you can use and unlocks and collectibles and fun things for me to find that, I, you know, of course, me as being someone who's a. Uh, collectible enthusiast in games. I really enjoy that, but I've, I've been digging it. I'm only on chapter three of the game right now, so I'm, I'm very early, but um, I like it. I'll talk about it more in the future. But oh, definitely. So I look far, forward so to good. hearing, because uh, I actually... So at first, I was like, oh, cool, Guardians of the Galaxy. Then I was like, oh, you can only play a Star-Lord. That sucks. But I hear good things, and I've been looking at gameplay, and it looks fun. And I love Marvel, uh, and you're saying you can command the others. You can. So as an example, because I don't want to want it all too long, but as an example, like when you're in combat, your your companions have different abilities. So like you can command Groot to use his tree powers to basically trap enemies. So like he'll stomp his roots into the ground and hold enemies in place so that you can attack them. Or if you're getting, you know, hit by a big swarm, you know, Rocket, you can command him and he'll use cluster bombs that can attack, hit a bunch of enemies all at once. Whereas uh, Gamora can attack one enemy, but it's almost an insta-kill because she does her assassin abilities that can just do high damage to one. And uh, and then Drax is the guy, like, if you have a... Uh, an enemy who has maybe really high health or defense that he can stagger the enemy for you and let you take it out more. And so you're combining these abilities and there's more abilities for each of them to unlock. So I, there's going to be more that they can do. I don't even have yet, but when you're using those things in combat, um, you can really do a whole lot of different things and you feel like you're still working as a team, even though you're just controlling star Lord. So I hope that gives a little bit better. Oh, definitely. No, because I've been wondering, and it does, I'm interested. Uh, and I saw it was on sale the other day, and I was like, hmm. Also, so. one thing that I really think is cool about this, um, 
this is less of a this is more of an accessibility standpoint and less about the game itself but i think this is a really cool thing this game does that i wish other games would would take a hint from is you know how games typically when you start a new game you choose i want to play on normal or hard or easy yeah and sometimes it goes beyond that and there's very hard or very easy mm. well they have that in uh in guardians but there's also custom difficulty weird and so when you select custom so basically when you go to select your difficulty it has a whole list of things that you can adjust as you like so it can do your character's damage output and you can change it to low medium high very high for how much damage you're inflicting and how much damage do you take and you can put low medium high so on and you can do, you know, how fast your cooldowns are, how slow they are, That's or, um, you know, all these different things. So you can truly customize it to be like, well, I want to take low damage and dish high damage, or I want to take high damage and dish low damage, dish out low damage, and like, or combine them somewhat uh, to make it more difficult or easier on yourself. Without just this, the label of easy or medium or hard, you can choose yeah. all these different settings to really scale it how you want, which I thought was really fascinating, and I hope that more games do that. Yeah, it's really good from an accessibility standpoint. Some people like uh, they want to play the game, but like they can't, they have trouble moving around quickly, or you know that kind of thing. So they get hit more, um, and it it can feed into like disabilities and stuff. Um, People having trouble I, doing certain things, and that, yeah, that, or like if yeah. I'm choosing an ability for my characters to use or for my team to use, do I want the time to slow down significantly, or slow down a little bit, or or freeze completely? You know, things like that, so that you can take your time. It's really fascinating how they've they made just a simple difficulty selection into a whole menu yeah. that you could do a basically a custom difficulty. It's I hope, really I just I thought it was games really do that thing. I'd, I had never seen that really before. I'm always happy when games do uh, increase accessibility. Like uh, grounded is really funny because they have giant spiders in it. And so you can, if you're arachnophobic, you can turn down how spidery they are. If you turn it all the way down, it's just a floating potato, and it's really funny, and it doesn't make, like, the demon noises anymore. Uh, and I just, you know, it's nice when, because people are afraid of stuff, and, you know, I don't know. It's nice that everyone gets to play. For sure. No. So anyway, but that's all I have to say about it now. I'll, uh, I'll definitely talk about it later, because it's captured my attention, kind of like Far Cry 6 did, so... I'll be playing it some more in between uh, bouts of Halo. Speaking of Far Cry 6, <clears throat> it was on sale, and I got it. I got I got Far Cry 6 for Jahan and I for Christmas. I said Merry Christmas, I got us Far Cry 6. So now we get to play a co-op, and we get to tell you how bomb it is. Yeah. Sweet. I'll be excited to get to hear your thoughts and to see. I'm assuming that y'all have barely dabbled in it so far but i'll be so i don't think he's fired it up yet but i fired it up just to get through what i had a hectic week the, yeah there's a, i assumed there was like a wall before you can play co-op and i was right there's like three or four missions and so i got through those and then just started exploring the world uh, i'm always been a big fan of the far cry games so uh, i feel right back at home I, I love it yeah i lumped some high praise onto it so i was scared that <laughs> <laughs> you get kind of intimidated, like, oh, I hope they so like it as much far, as I So know. far, cry. Yeah, I was really happy that you guys liked Wheel of Time for that reason. I was like, I don't want them to shit on me for this, too. 
You know? Man, I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. I was ready for Gary to hate Wheel of Time. Me, so I was pleasantly surprised too. So I really like. I think the. I, I don't remember the characters' names. I and but I just think that they have like good roles, right? I think that each one of them fits a slot. Yeah. And we're gonna learn their names later because it's strong guy, rogue guy, magic girl, and whiny night guy. <laughs> so like we already know who they are. We just haven't figured out who they are yet. So yeah. that's. I don't, I don't hate it, but I, I don't think it's, uh, yeah, I don't hate it yet. Let's say I don't hate it yet. Good. I like it so far. Forgot to mention too, Wheel of Time has already been officially picked up for season two. Has it? Time. I didn't know that. I'm excited. So right. We're for sure getting at least two seasons, but they want to do eight. I hate it when stuff gets canceled after one. I because worth it. noting also, I saw this before, before the show even came out, the rogue guy that you're talking about yeah. has been recast for season two. It will not be the same actor. They oh, have not shit. said they have not said exactly why um, that has happened. So I don't know if it's a scheduling issue or or what. Um, but that's Damn. just worth noting. Is the the like rogue character? I do too. I like him a lot too. So I'm wondering if he just had something maybe in his personal life or something going on. I don't want to speculate too much. He was one of my favorite character, characters will be recast for oh, season well. two. So worth noting. That's worth actually wildly disappointing. But hey, uh, what else you got, Drew? What else you been watching? Yeah, so actually this will tie into something Gary's been watching. Um, weeks ago on the podcast, Gary and I both talked about a documentary we watched called Woodstock 99 that was all about 1999 Woodstock. And um, that documentary was part of a documentary series called uh, HBO Music Box. And that documentary series, they kind of launched Woodstock 99 early as a preview. And now those documentaries are coming out weekly for the next few weeks. And the next, the first one that dropped since Woodstock 99 is called Jagged. And it is all about... Uh, Alanis Morissette and the recording of her album Jagged Little Pill, which which is one of the, I believe it's still the second best selling album of all time by a female artist ever. And wow. it's like the 12th best selling album of all time, which I didn't even realize um, how big of a deal that album was. But um, so anyway, the, the documentary kind of, it's Alanis Morissette's part of it. It's, it's her now interviewing and reflecting back on it, but they have a ton of footage and photos and everything from that time. Um, so it gives a really good insight into just what it was like in her early career and then leading into kind of finding herself as an artist and, and producing the album. I like Alanis Morissette as a musician. Like I like her music from the 90s and that album in particular. So I was kind of, you know... It wasn't going to be hard for me to like it just because it was appealing to my interests there. But I did still learn a thing or two about it and about her and just her as an artist. And so I thought it was interesting. It was nowhere near the same. The Woodstock 99 documentary, like literally floored me with. The... I would say captivating is the word I would use. It's because I'm having the same problem with the DMX one. Mm -hmm. It's just not as captivating as the Woodstock 99 one. Agreed. So I actually have started the DMX one and have not finished it as of now, but I'll I'll get around to it. I, I started it one night uh, in bed. My wife and I were watching it and I, I got sleepy. So I got about three, <laughs> I got about three quarters of the way through it. I, I wish it was more about DMX's life 
Uh, it really focuses on his last year of life, mm-hmm. and in particular, his his three year old son is in a lot of meetings that he shouldn't be in because at this part of his life, DMX just got out of jail or prison again, and he's like, "I gotta be with my son. He means the most to me." So he just brings his son everywhere, and it's annoying and disrespectful. And DMX, you could tell, doesn't really give a shit about the deals that he's making just as long as it's money like he just doesn't give a fuck what the people on the phone are saying in the meeting he couldn't give a care less he's there because he has to be yeah i uh, watched a bit of this and for sure i know exactly what you're saying because there's a point where he's even in a business meeting talking about you know a tour you know an album or whatever and they're they're they basically ask him do you do you want us to read out you know this the stipulations of the contract and he's like nah well I guess, you know, but he was literally ready to sign on the dotted line without them even presenting anything to him. I mean, he's just he's just ready to try to make some money or, you know, but, uh, that's because at this point, you know, the and the documentary explains it at this point, he is back out of prison and he lo- he lost a lot of that money before in the earlier part of his career by making a lot of mistakes. And he's very aware of the mistakes that he made and how far he's come. So this time he's he's getting the money for his family and he's making sure everything's squared away and everything's settled. And there are a lot of people. I, I like DMX. I like DMX came out in like 1999 or 98, right? And like he at was at time, Woodstock 99, so yeah, yeah, he was definitely around then. <laughs> yeah, like DMX was hot fire when I was growing up, and now it's kind of cheesy because we. I grew up listening can, to him too. Yeah, we can reflect on it now and be like, ah, oh, that's kind of cheesy rap from the you know 2000s era. But at the time, it went hard as fuck, and it was hot fire rap, and I still like it to this day. Um, and it, it means a lot to people in Yonkers and to people on the street. And DMX is just, it, it, he shows you that. He walks around on the street and it just talks to people. And everybody knows him. They know his songs. They know his name. Uh, they know that he's, you know, the voice of the hood, the voice of the streets. And he represents a whole people in America that are ignored or, you know, people just don't understand and can't communicate with. And he walks around and he's a fucking celebrity superhero. And, you know, it, he is to those people. There's a guy who said, I was in prison for 25 years, and if it wasn't for DMX's music, I would have gone crazy or killed myself. And he was like, that music helped me push through and helped me power through. He said, DMX is a prophet. You know, he, he his words just keep me going. I was like, man, I totally get it. I totally see how his music is so moving and so powerful. There's nothing that you turn on that sounds like DMX except DMX. Uh, he's and so I, I like I, I liked it I liked the documentary for what it was but it's I just wish it was more about DMX and less about DMX's last year of life I would really like to have seen uh, that makes I sense I mean crazy. my understanding was his last year of life wasn't great uh, that's that's exactly uh, right I, I would have liked more of DMX than less of one focus yeah and I'll have to see how it ends Gary because one of the things that so as we know, DMX passed away in April of this year. So not even six or seven months ago. So obviously they were filming this documentary in 2019, not knowing that he was going to die, pass away two years later yeah, or less than two years later. So it's definitely from the bit of it that I've watched, it's definitely interesting watching it, knowing that, 
I'm assuming they were making this about this kind of him getting out of prison and a, a little bit of a comeback to her, not knowing that he was going to pass away. Yeah, and so yeah. the whole thing <laughs> takes on a different context. It's kind of crazy. Now that he's no longer with us. And so it, I, it I makes it really if, sad. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And so I don't know if that ties into uh, there is a kind of a foreword at the beginning where the the director speaks a little bit about it and so i don't know if the end will round that kind of bring that full circle as well but that's something i'll have to watch so sorry gary you've seen more of it so i don't know if it does or if it's really just about that that time uh it's uh i'm sorry i just it's just that kind of last part of his life it's I just wish it was more DMX. That's all I could say. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yep. And and uh, circle back to Jagged, which I was talking about earlier. Um, I do think that it's it's interesting to see the impact of the Jagged Little Pill album from Alanis Morissette and how she wrote those songs and finding herself as an artist, as I was saying. And if you like that music, I think it's worth watching. They do have... Um, members of the band who toured with her and, and played on that album, the interview. I think one of the things that was really fascinating that I didn't realize is, um, of course, his name's going to escape me now, but the, uh, her, her drummer, uh, Dave Grohl's drummer. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> he did Taylor, that album. Taylor Hawkins. Yes, 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 yes. Hawkins for sure is his last name. Um, I should know, but I don't, but, uh, yeah, he he's in the documentary. He's interviewed throughout and talks about his experience and talks about how after that tour of the Jagged Little Pill tour and doing that album, he knew he needed to do something. And Foo Fighters were like, hey, we need a drummer. And he obviously made a, a great career move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to do that. But he uh, he did not wait until after the tour to make that decision, did he? I know that he tells her at the end, like they talk about it and and. She she was, you know, happy for him, but devastated at the same time. From I thought that I was a really interesting part of that doc. That, I, I haven't seen that doc yet, but I, I know the story. It's an old rock and roll story. And so from what I understand, her tour wasn't over. And Dave Grohl asked him and was like, yeah, but we're going to need you. Like, you got to come with us. And so Taylor Hawkins just dropped her mid-tour and was like, sorry, I'm going with the Foo Fighters. When they and, toured with the Foo Fighters, too, is worth noting, like, they would play right after each other. So, like, Foo Fighters would play in a city, and then Alanis would be the next artist to perform there. So they would often travel with each other and things, too, so they got to know each other. So all that. so And there's footage from all of it, which is, yeah. which is what made it really fascinating. That's... Of course, that's what makes or breaks a documentary like this, is how much access to footage you have, and there's a ton. And also... Lennis Morissette still has storage units full of old merch and tapes and things from that era. And I, I was amazed to see how these artists keep those things at that time. Yeah. But I mean, you can't stay mad at Dave Grohl. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he he's like the, the nicest guy. Yeah. Uh, and also, um, apparently, so... Uh, <laughs> Speaking of the Foo Fighters, apparently there's a movie coming out. I think it's called Studio 66, where the Foo Fighters star in a horror movie. Uh, so that's just because just you're talking about it. That's be, funny. That'll be fucking hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen their music videos, John? 
Uh, some of them, I think. Yeah, they have some epic music videos along the way. There's one where Jack Black and Dave Grohl meet up at a roadside motel, and they put on <laughs> ladies' clothes and lipstick, and then like slap fight on the bed. <laughs> That's a good music <laughs> but video. They, but they both pull up in like big fucking redneck trucks that have like Confederate flags on the back, and they're jacked up, and they get out like drinking beer and walk in, <laughs> walk in, and like you know, torn up blue jeans and country stuff, trucker hats. So. Uh, yeah, they've they've got some some real winners along the way. They definitely know how to make a joke. Uh, I'm guessing that movie will be very funny. Oh yeah. So um so the next of the music box series that comes out uh, or actually at the, at the time this will be posting it'll be out, but it's oh, about Kenny right. G. And that that's... one actually looks surprisingly good. I don't okay. Here's what I think each one of those has in common is that. Each of them show they're each each music box episode shows how impactful the thing is or was. Mm-hmm. So Woodstock '99, super impactful. Mm-hmm. Alanis Morissette's album, impactful. DMX, his words, impactful. So I think that is what each story has in common is that it's an impact. How is this character impactful to the people or the situation around them? And so the Kenny G one, I've seen some little preview trailers for it. Uh, it actually looks really interesting. It looks really good. I don't care about Kenny G, but the way that these are shot, I'm excited to see how impactful he is. I agree. One thing also worth noting, not to get too much into real life on the podcast, but just having watched the Woodstock 99 documentary within the past couple of months and then the astroworld events that just recently oh, happened Jesus how Christ. that has become the most deadly concert event of all time yeah we watched the woodstock 99 doc and i thought oh my gosh this could never happen again i mean this is horrifying watching this play out and this could never happen again and the fact that something potentially worse has now happened in our current year is just uh is just horrible so thoughts go out to all of those people that's that's insane that's why there are rules man there are rules you know to stop that kind of thing there's etiquette rules and then also like that's why singers and like dave girl i've seen him do it uh they get pissed they stop the music they're like stop doing what you're doing because they don't want people to die you know and it's just uh what a mess Mm -hmm. what a Mm -hmm. mess but to to switch to a uh, a lighter a lighter topic, um, I know I had mentioned before uh, some of the Chucky <laughs> Child's Play <laughs> movies that I was watching. I've, I won't talk about this long, but I did watch one more. Watched Bride of Chucky. I don't know if y'all have ever seen that movie. It's hilarious and stupid and ridiculous. And uh, I continued. <laughs> I plan to continue this this journey with Chucky that I've now started, and I have to see through to the end. That's pretty much all I have to say about it. Oh, that was the year my younger brother was born. Look at that. Um, one other quick thing I will mention that I, I watched, uh, and it's only because we've talked about it in in detail previously, uh, Masters of the Universe Revelations Part 2 dropped recently. And I have not watched all of it, but I have watched the first episode because I did like Part 1 especially with it being five episodes that are, you know, all about 20, you know, 20 minutes and change each. I said, oh yeah, I'll watch part two. So I've watched the first episode of part two and I've, uh, and I enjoyed it. So I will continue watching that. I don't know if either of you, I I really, I really liked part one. I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I did. 
at all. I really enjoyed what they did with a lot of the characters, and I do look forward. I haven't seen this yet. I do look forward to watching this. Kind of snuck up on us, and it seems like, of course, so much stuff launched the week of Thanksgiving, which is why, you know, it's just it's impossible to watch everything. Uh, but I'll, I will plan to dabble in this over the coming weeks and, uh, and talk about it more in the future. And then I do have another uh, Drew's Oscar minute for, mm. for everyone that's that wants to listen to uh, to my journey with the awards circuit. Um, the next two movies uh, have been in conver- awards conversations, but I it's not like last week when I talked about King Richard and Will Smith and Will Smith, you know, is a front runner for an Oscar. He's going to be on, you know, he's going to be nominated this year i think it's pretty safe to say it's it's as close to a sure bet as you can get um these movies i watched are not sure bets but they're in the conversation and so i wanted to check them out and they're both on netflix which is nice because these can be streamed in your home interesting you know whenever you want so that's worth noting Uh, netflix for the past several years has been making a lot of attempts to at Oscar, you know, just Oscar plays essentially trying to get movies that are nominated. There, they have. I mentioned before, The Power of the Dog is out now on Netflix, and that's going to be a big awards contender. But I'm not talking about that now. I'm talking about. I watched a film called Passing, um, and Passing is directed by Rebecca Hall. It's her directorial uh, debut, which she's an actress um, who I really like. Um, she's been in a lot of films, but uh, Passing stars Tessa Thompson, um, who you may know as Valkyrie from the from Thor Ragnarok and Avengers movies, and um, West. She's World. also in the. What was that? Isn't she in Westworld? She is in Westworld, and mm-hmm. she's she's in a she's actually in a whole bunch of stuff now. She's like, in she was in Solo. The what was that? Wasn't she in Solo? Oh, gosh. I don't think so. I thought she was in the Han Solo movie. She was in the Men in Black reboot. They also had Chris Hemsworth in it. She was in Solo. Um, She she was was in the movie Annihilation. I don't know if you've seen Annihilation. Oh, and she's in the Creed movies. So Um, she's in everything that you've seen. She's in in a bunch, and she's the lead in this. This also stars Ruth Negga, who was in the... I believe she was in the Preacher series. She was. She was in the Preacher series. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, so this film is the name passing uh so it's about two light-skinned african-american women and how they the it's really this is a really fascinating race study film because it takes place in i want to i want to get this right so i'm saying the time period right so give me a second to actually <laughs> look, look at this I love guy. both of those actresses, actually. I know who both of them are, and I like them very much, so I'm interested in this. Let's see. It takes place... The So it's based on a novel that was written in 1929, and I'm assuming that it takes place um, around that same time period. But basically, the, the idea of passing is refers to African-Americans who had skin color light enough to be perceived as white. Mm -hmm. So passing. And so that is where the, the film comes in. Um, like Ruth Negga's character is 
married to a white man who doesn't know that she's African-American oh, because geez. she's passing as white. Um, and she is an old friend of, of Tessa Thompson's character who Tessa Thompson, uh, lives in in Harlem in New York at that time and she's married to a black man and she lives life as an African American but could pass if she wanted to so it plays up these really fascinating racial dynamics from that time period yeah. and between them um so it's a very fascinating wa watch because this wasn't this was something that I was very ignorant or naive to that this was even a thing. Oh, very so much so. Colorism was, is still very much a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I was definitely educated a bit by this movie. I think so that the performances are very good. I don't think in a, in a less crowded awards year, they could potentially be getting a lot, a lot more buzz. Um, but I did still want to watch this as Netflix has, this is the type of movie that won't go to theaters anymore. This yeah. is the type of movie that people just, it, it wouldn't make any money. So, but Netflix is producing this kind of content, which I'm glad that they do. It wouldn't, I wouldn't go see this in theaters and I will watch it on Netflix. Yeah. yeah it sounds really so good. it's, uh, I think the story, the way it plays out is, is fine. The film as a whole is okay, but it's worth watching for the performances and just to learn about this because yeah. i was just fascinated by it well so, so it's um, funny that you uh so as we're talking about this i'm uh i have to talk about the real life experience uh that i have so my grandmother i don't know if you know this is half black uh and she we like we had no idea for a long time because she lied about it her like entire life because she was passing uh, and she, like, if anyone was like, hey, you know, you kind of look like you got something going on there, she would say she's Native American, like, partially. Uh, but she lied about being black her entire life. She was half black. Um, and I, you know, my great-grandfather is 100% black, man. And it's just, it, it does happen. It's a very real thing. People that can pass, you know, like me, I'm, I'm Iranian. But you see me on the street, I'm just another white guy. You know, I don't have to deal with the prejudice of on site. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have to deal with that interaction of like the second they see you, you know what I mean? It's funny. You say that I actually, I have, you, you know, Kevin, Kevin Romero, he's a friend yeah. of the show. He's been on our stream. He is the first person I've met who is Hispanic. He was raised by Mexican, uh, half a Mexican family for half of his life. And, uh, and, he doesn't claim being Mexican. He doesn't claim being Hispanic. He said be because he is passing and he hasn't had to deal with, in his mind, any of the prejudice that comes with no. being Hispanic. It's, it's, he doesn't feel like he had to deal with the prejudice, so he doesn't claim to be Hispanic. But he, it's not because he's not proud of it. It's because no. he feels like he's been treated like a white guy his whole life because he looks like a white guy. Yeah. So to circle back to, to the film, one of the things I think is interesting is, like I said, I... I don't know if this was the best movie I've ever seen, but it's a but it's a film that sparks conversation, right? And yeah. and provides an opportunity to educate yourselves or educate others. And I thought this was an interesting look. Now, now at the end, it plays out like a drama novel or film. There's things like that, but um, the journey to get there, I think, is is worth experiencing. I guess to to just to learn something because like i said i did 
Um, so there's so that's passing. The other movie that I'm going to talk about is called Tick Tick Boom. Have you have either of you heard of this? No. No, it sounds explosive. <laughs> so this is Lin Manuel Miranda's directorial debut. So he directed uh-huh. this movie. Do you know that I actually love Lin Manuel Miranda? I know you do. So that's why I led with with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it stars Andrew Garfield, who I really like. And I also like Andrew Garfield. What's happening right now? Yeah, so this is the story of Jonathan Larson, who is best known as the writer of the hit musical Rent. So, um... So, like this anymore. I don't like what's happening now. You're not a fan of Rent? No, I'm not a fan of Rent. So that's fair. Um, but basically, to sum it up, to try to summarize it pretty quickly, um, Jonathan Larson was a... a musical theater playwright and he had spent a lot of time writing a musical before rent um that i believe was called superbia and he worked on it for years and finally got a workshop and it didn't go anywhere and so after that he wrote a basically a one-man like rock monologue, I think is what he referred to it as um, that has become tick, tick, boom. It's basically a bitter retelling of his experience of basically his life's work at that point, not working out and his experience of being a musical playwright in New York city and being poor and working at a diner and just all the things he was doing to try to make ends meet um, to make this musical that didn't take off. And so, so the story of a starving artist. Exactly, exactly. And and the themes of Bohemia are very uh, prevalent in this, of, you know, just artists working together and being artists and doing their thing. Yeah, and I, could, I could get with that. You can see all the signs <laughs> of how this led him to eventually write Rent. So, um, but yeah, so it's just about his experience and everything before writing Rent. Uh, worth noting, Jonathan Larson in real life passed away at the age of 35. Um, and ironically enough, passed away on the night before Rent's first ever uh, performance or wow. f- like like public performance. Wow, that's crazy. Um, he passed away of a aortic <laughs> aneurysm, like a heart aneurysm due to a, a, like an undiagnosed um, condition he had and, um, yeah, or the, I think that's what they assume. And so, yeah, but he, so he was actually a straight male in New York, but was a musical theater playwright, but had so many friends in that, um, industry or through musical theater who were homosexual and died of AIDS. And so that's like a big part of his life is how many friends that he lost at a young age due to the AIDS crisis. And so you just see all those things and how it led him to write, to write that musical. So anyway, that's me talking about the real life person, but this is a movie about that person and Andrew Garfield plays the role. And he, I really like Andrew Garfield uh, a lot as an actor. And uh, ever since great. he... Yeah, ever since seeing him in The Social Network over a decade ago, I thought he was fantastic in that. Um, of course, he played Spider-Man. I've and... loved him ever since I saw him in Doctor Who! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
He, but he played Spider-Man and did, you know, so he dabbled in huge blockbusters. But recently, ever since his time doing Spider-Man, he's just been doing... He's like an actor that just goes for it in everything that he does. And uh, he's got a lot of um, really fascinating performances. And of everything that I've seen him in, this is probably his best performance that I've seen. So really worth watching if you want to see just a killer Andrew Garfield performance. He this he had not really been in the early talks for award contenders, but ever since this movie debuted on Netflix, it's like all of film Twitter was like, yeah, so he's going to get nominated for an Oscar for this, right? Yeah. And I mean, I guess it could happen. I think it's being optimistic, but I still wanted to watch it and see what the buzz was all about. And he's great in it. I think the movie overall is okay. The music, there's definitely some good songs in it. Um, but again, like Netflix letting Lin-Manuel Miranda direct a musical starring Andrew Garfield. Like I'm here for it. I'm here for these kinds of stories and films that aren't getting the same kind of theatrical releases that they once would have. Yeah, so. that sounds like a, a mashup that somebody made in Cards Against Humanity. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Netflix and, produces a musical by Lin-Manuel Miranda and Andrew Garfield. What? <laughs> and naturally, when it's a, a, a movie, because the whole thing's kind of meta, right? Like, it's a musical about a theater kid who's right who writes musicals like that's that's what it's about <laughs> and so naturally when you have Lin-Manuel Miranda who of course is a musical theater genius in his own right directing this you do get um there's a big musical number midway through where you get some cameos from other you know some of the original cast of Hamilton and you know Bernadette Peters and some other famous Broadway stars make appearances throughout so which of course that's all couldn't be done without Lin-Manuel Miranda at the helm. So I think if you're interested in that type of stuff too, it's worth worth checking out. But um, it's 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 pretty good. I'd say for his debut, a directorial debut for films, uh, it was pretty pretty solid. So I think uh, I think Ben is gonna like that. Yes, if <laughs> I were to recommend it to any of my close friends, Ben would be the guy. So Ben, if you're listening to this, go watch Tick Tick Boom. I recommend it. And uh, that's it for Drew's Oscar Minute. And uh, I think, unless y'all have anything else you'd like to talk about, that's really all I've got for this week. Nah, that's it for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Gary's <laughs> done too. Look at that. Uh, but yeah, so th- uh, this has been another great episode of uh, Fresh Out the Podcast, if I do so, so myself. Uh, but yeah, I've been Johanan on. I'm at RockFact on Twitter. Hit us with the hashtag. Uh, man, I forgot what I had. I had a good hashtag earlier. That's too long. Shorten that down. Come back to me. That's that's a really long hashtag. <laughs> I'm Casualty CDG. You can find me at Casualty CDG. If you like tabletop role playing games, board games, or interviews with game creators, follow Fresh Out the Box. We have a YouTube. We have uh, a Facebook. We have a Twitch. That's Twitch.tv backslash Jahananon. Um, you can find us everywhere. Also, of course, Fresh Out the Podcast. Tell your friends. We're at over a thousand downloads now, baby. So, seriously, tell your friends. Like, I don't know if you know somebody who likes video games, but they probably need another podcast whenever they're driving to work or they're in school oh, trying to whatever. 
I'm Drew Munhausen. You can find me at Drew Munhausen on Twitter. Please get me out of here now. Thanks for listening to episode 22 of Fresh Out the Podcast. And uh, we'll see you next week.